Good morning, everybody. If you got your Bibles, we're in uh, John chapter 20 and 21 today. John chapter 20 and 21 today. So last week, we looked at the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Um, and we talked a lot about the idea that, um, that Jesus, when he died on the cross, took care of what? What did he take care of? He took care of our, our sin, right? He totally dealt with the sin issue on the cross. And today, uh, one of the things that we're going to look at is we're going to look at you know, some of the repercussions of sin. Some of, some of the repercussions of sin in our lives today are thorns and thistles that grow out of the ground. They're the fact that we have to sweat when we work. Right? The fact that, uh, ladies, I hate it for you, but childbearing stinks. Right? It's awful. It's painful. It's part of the repercussions of sin. The, the biggest and most tragic repercussion of sin, though, is obviously death. Right? It is death. Um, and today, with the resurrection, Jesus not only takes care of sin, but he takes care of the repercussions of sin, which are death. Uh, and that is where we get this extra hope. Um, I spent a lot of time this week thinking about did Jesus actually have to rise again from the dead to complete what God sent him here to do? And when he said on the cross, it is finished, he had dealt with the sin issue at that point. He had totally dealt with the sin issue. But we get to serve a risen Savior because he rose again, and it makes all the difference. Um, I love some of the tenses that we'll study today in today's lesson because Mary Magdalene, she's like, come look at the place where the Lord lay. Where he, where he was laying, because he's not, he's not here anymore, because there's just like an empty spot here. And the tenses are beautiful in this lesson today. So, last week we looked at Jesus wins over sin, and today we're looking at the, the resurrection. Here's the first blank at the top of your handout. The resurrection proves that God's love wins over death, too. Um, it's already been defeated. We have to face it, but we only have to face it once. And it's only instantaneous, Right? Isn't that beautiful? That it, it's not going to have any power over us for any length of time, over the one instant, and that's it. And then we're with Jesus. And that's fantastic. It's hard to get over for me as a teacher. So if I just take a, a rambling side trip for just a minute and just talk about that for a couple minutes, you just have to forgive me because I hadn't got over it yet. So we're in John chapter 20. So the empty tomb, verse 1. Now the first day of the week, and the first day of the week is Sunday. There we go. So it's Sunday. Mary Magdalene. So what do we know about Mary Magdalene? Somebody tell me something about Mary Magdalene. She was an honest, church-going woman all her life, right? Mm. From the time that she was really living, maybe. But what, what happened before she met Jesus? She's a really, yes, yeah, she's a working woman, right? Um, the, the New Testament talks that, that Jesus cast out seven demons from her. I don't know how your life has been so far, but she had seven demons living in her. Okay? So think about her love for Jesus and what he literally did in her life because everything was a wreck. And she meets Jesus and everything changes. And that's the truth for all of us. But in her life, it wasn't one of those, yes, I trusted Jesus when I was four and I went from being a snotty-nosed brat to a snotty-nosed brat that loved Jesus, right? It went from I was selling myself and the devil possessed me and my body to now I follow Jesus around and worship him wherever he goes, okay? 
So this is the life that we're looking at this morning. It's beautiful. So she went to the tomb early. You know, she's the first one there. There are, there are things that you will only find out about God by getting there early. Because people who are late to the party, they don't find out certain things. Right? This is, while it was still dark, now, she set her alarm clock, right? Because this is first century. No alarm clock. She got up on her own. It was dark. She goes out to a place called, it was near the place of the skull, so I'm sure this was an exciting place, right? This was near the place where they crucified people, remember? Because Jesus was, was buried in this tomb that was near the Golgotha, near the place where he was crucified. So you have these tombs. So she gets up early in the morning to go to the place of the tombs. This is a committed woman, all right? Make no, no mistakes here. While it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, then she ran. Now, if you know anything about people in the first century, running was not something that you did. Can I get a witness? There we go. We were talking last night uh, about a UFC event at my house last night, and there was a commercial that came on for this UFC video game slash workout program where you could mimic the fighters in their workout routines. And everybody looked at me and went, that's for you, right? I was like, I have a very simple philosophy in life. I don't sweat. <laughs> Not interested. Not interested in sweating. If it involves sweating, I'm out. I feel that I, it's part of, you know, I'm trying to live on the other side of the curse, right? And not to participate in the this, in this sweat of sin, right? That's just, I'm out. It was a theological long shot, but I tried, right? So she ran. So now, now, does the Bible say that she looked in the tomb? No. It says she saw that the stone was rolled away. So what would have gone through her mind? Somebody stole the body. Now put yourself in these shoes for just a second. Think about the person in your life that has died, that has meant more to you than anybody else. Just take a sec and just think about that person. And think about how you would feel if you saw that somebody desecrated the place where they were buried. I am not in my happy place now. Okay? I am quite angry. She has just gone through an incredibly... She was there at the cross. She, there were, remember the three Marys that were there at the cross? This was one of the three Marys that was there. She saw Jesus die. She saw them take him down. She probably saw Joseph and Nicodemus bury him. And... She comes back, and the stone is rolled away. And she panics, and I don't blame her. And she runs. So where does she run? And came to Simon Peter. You know why she went to Peter? Because Peter's going to do something. It may be the wrong thing, but Peter is going to do something. We're not going to stand around and talk about it. Right? Peter would have hated committees where we just discuss. Peter wants to be on the front line, and let's go act. Well... She has a problem, I skipped a blank there, because she does not know who took Jesus. This is her problem. She does not know who took Jesus. So she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And who's that? John, right? And said to them, they have taken, they, that, you notice how it's always they's fault, right? When you're at work, you know what they did? They changed this policy. You believe that? They did that. You know, and whenever you get to be on the other side of that management fence and you become the they, it's a whole different perspective on life because you realize they're talking about me. Yeah, They, over there on that side, are talking about me now. That's how it works. 
So they, somebody out there, this nebulous, has taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. She got her pronouns wrong, but that's okay. We'll fix that in just a minute. Peter, therefore, went out. See, he's, he just, let's go. We're going to go do something. And the other disciple, and we're going to the tomb. And I love this part. Now, remember, who's writing this? John's writing this. Under whose authority? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is telling John exactly what to write. And i got to think that when John gets to write verse 4, he's going, that's so awesome, I get to put that in there. Because it says, so they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. <laughs> I mean, seriously, how cool would that to be? Be documented for all time that you were faster than Peter. Just like that. And he, this is John, stooping down and looking in. Did he go in? No, he looked in. Saw the linen clothes lying there. Now, what was Mary scared of? Mary was scared that somebody had stolen the body of Jesus. So if you're going to go steal a body that had been crucified a couple days earlier, what would be one thing that you would not do? Unwrap it. Because just, dang, that's just wrong. Okay? You are, one, you're in a hurry. And two, you are not, why would you, I mean, this is, no, 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 no. You would not unwrap the body. So these are hints as we're going through the scripture here, that this is not a robbery. This is not a robbery. This is not a robbery, right? You, one of the things that the Gospels do is that they are an eyewitness account of what actually happened. They're, they're supposed to be able to be submitted in a court to be evidence of the truth of this account. So they're laying out the evidence that this is not a robbery. He saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in, so he hesitated. Then Simon Peter came, following him. Just, again, we're just... He was second. And went into the tomb. So here we go. Peter's going to act. We're going forward. And he saw the linen clothes lying there. And, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together. How many of you have ever been robbed? Ever been robbed? I've been robbed. Had my car stolen twice. Twice. Off the Tennessee Temple uh, campus parking lot. Almost the exact same spot, actually. The second time it happened, um, the first time it happened, they just ran it until it ran out of gas. It had like an eighth of a tank of gas. I was in college. That's the way it works. The second time it happened was the day I graduated from Tennessee Temple. Um, my roommate and I had discussed whether we were going to load all of our stuff into our cars the night before we graduated so we could just drive off into the sunset after we graduated and everything was easy. And we got lazy and we decided not to. Best decision ever made in college right there. Walk out after graduation ceremony. Oh, there's a pile of glass. That doesn't look good, because I know I parked it right here. And I remembered from last time what this little pile of glass means. It means this is a hassle. So, like two days later, we find the car. The police find the car. They had, they, they, had driven it through a barbed wire fence. It was, a, now, granted, it was an 88 Oldsmobile with like 180,000 miles on it, but it was paid for, and it worked, you know, every time. They drove it through a barbed wire fence, scratched it all up, busted out some windows, spray-painted uh, dirty words on the dash. It's an awesome sound effect there, whoever that was. Um, and left their mail, their mail with their names and addresses and literally their social security numbers in the front seat. <laughs> like, you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. And the kicker, here's the kicker. You know what they left in the back seat? You remember this, Julie? It was a roast. 
A roast. Like you go to the store and you buy a roast, right? It was, yeah. It was bad. No, it was uncooked. Uncooked. And it took them two days to find it, and this was in the summer in Chattanooga. We opened that door, and it was just, uh, it was, oh, it was roasting. He has added to this story that I will tell forever. That is awesome. So here's my point. My point is that robbers do not leave things neatly. They did not take the time to fold things over and make things look, no, they wrecked the joint. So when you see the folded napkin, something is, this is not a robber, okay? Now, in, so I trans, move forward 2,000 years, okay, to today. When you're eating at a restaurant and you have to go to the restroom in the middle of the meal, what do you do with your napkin? You fold it and put it back in your chair. What does the folding tell the waiter? I'll be back. The folding tells your waiter, I'll be back. If you wad it up and put it on the, on the plate, and just as a wreck, you're done. I'm not coming back, which I think is a cool thing that we can take from this story, but I don't know. Verse 8, then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. Now, Mary Magdalene was the first one to the tomb, but John was the first one that believed in the resurrection without seeing Jesus. And that's pretty cool. Because John got it. It clicked right there. Um, and the thing that I love is that, you know, our pastor's always telling us as parents, when your kids get saved, the thing that you do is you write it in the flyleaf of their Bible, because the Bible says so. And John didn't do that. John actually wrote it in the Bible. <laughs> this was the day he got saved. It's right there. It's beautiful. He's the first to believe the resurrection without seeing Jesus. Verse 9, For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went again to their own homes. So one more, one more slight deviation here, and we'll get back to the text. Who was living with John at this time? Mary. Which Mary? Jesus' mama. How cool a trip home would that have been? Who do I get to tell that he's gone? neat conversation. How would that go? Uh, Mary? Um, yeah, we just came from the tomb and the handkerchief is folded up and he's not there and he, he's gone and nobody took him. And he's gone. Did I mention that? Because we were there and he's not there anymore. And everything's folded and neat and he's gone, right? And Mary's probably just sitting there going, there's something special about that boy. Beautiful. I love these little, because these are real people. These things actually happen, right? Verse 11, but Mary Magdalene stood outside by the tomb weeping. And she didn't leave. She was there. She was weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. So she's getting closer, right? She's looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Again, past tense, love it. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Now, we have studied a lot of scripture so far in going through the Bible. What's the typical first response when you see an angel? Yeah! Scared to death, right? Absolute sheer terror. Generally, the first thing out of the angel's mouth is, chill out, right? Relax. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to hurt you. Just... 
right? I mean, breathe here. And Mary Magdalene's response is, and she said to them, she just has a conversation because her grief has overwhelmed her fear of anything that she doesn't understand. This is the place that she is in. Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Verse 14, now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Again, we see this, we talked about this last week, this unexpected God. He shows up in places where, what? You mean he's, he's there, but he's gone. He's gone, but he's there. Right? I love the Bible. I love the Bible. He's gone, but he's there. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, Now, there's a link here, right? There's a link. What am I linking to? Way back when, that very first story, that very first story, when Adam and Eve were put in the garden, what was their job? Gardeners. This is the link, right? The link back to this is the Adam that will fix all things from the first Adam that wrecked all things. Supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And I love this. Because here you have a woman, and ladies, I'm not any disrespect at all whatsoever. But picture this. If, the, if this was a gardener, and he told her, this is where he is, she's going to go pick up a woman, a fully grown man's corpse, and haul it through the city of Jerusalem, back to her house. This was her mindset. She just wanted and I love it. Because you, I don't have any more raw you can get other than I don't even care if it's just his body. Show me where his body is. I care about my Lord. It's beautiful. Is that not? I mean, that's just, this is love. This is just so powerful. But Jesus doesn't let her stay there very long. Jesus said to her, Mary. One word. Just said her name. And instantly, she knew at that point. And she turned to him and said, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. It's literally my teacher. Um, and Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. How many of your Bibles have some other translation? Anybody have something else there? What do you have, Keith? Do not hold on to me. That's a good one. Uh, the, the idea is that um, some, of the, some of the translations said, what, what did you say, Albert? Don't touch me. Do not cling to me. Did anybody have don't touch me? Have, don't touch me. Don't touch me almost implies that she wasn't like draped around him. The Greek is get off of me. Basically, it's, it's a, you're, you're wrapping yourself around, I know I'm getting kind of close here. You're, you're wrapping yourself around me. It's like kind of back off a little bit, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't look up the word, but it's, okay. So do not cling to me. And you have this really curious phrase, and I don't get this. So if you get, a lot of you come up to me after the class is over and ask me theological questions. I got nothing for you here. It says, for I have not yet ascended to my father. I don't know how that works. There was some transitional period of him being here, but not being here. He's here, but he's not, right? I, I don't know. This is kind of a one-time deal, so that's what I got for you. But here's the part I love. But go to my brethren. And he's talking about the disciples here. Now, the last time he saw the disciples was where? In the garden at the arrest, and they all scattered, and they abandoned him at the cross. And what does he call them? My brothers. 
guys in my UFC small group, if, uh, if I were to get executed for some crime and you guys abandoned me and then God let me like come back from the dead, I ain't going to be calling you my brothers. <laughs> I'm going to be hunting you down going, Adam, I'm messing with your head. You know, <laughs> this is going to be a long ways away. This to me is an un un unbelievable display of love absolutely unbelievable display of love that he calls them his brothers. And he says to them, he says, he says, go to my brother and say to them, I am ascending to my father. That's a heck of a ringtone. That is awesome. It just like, goes. I set one up for my wife. We're big, uh, big Bang fans. Any big Bang, big bang fans in here? Uh, I set one up for my wife a couple months ago and it was the theme song to the Big Bang. So she'd be sitting in the doctor's office. Bang! <laughs> I loved it. It was good stuff. So he tells her to go tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Now there's something interesting here. The, uh, in the first century, who could not be considered a good witness? A woman. And who does Jesus send to be the first witness? A woman. I love it. Jesus says, tui on your culture and your laws because I care about everybody. That's what he's saying. I care, Patua, you like that? It's in the Greek there somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> I love this, verse 18. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples she had seen the Lord. Did it say she ran? No mention of running now. The emergency's over, because she knows who took Jesus. The answer to her question is Jesus. Jesus took Jesus. Again, I'm telling you, this is, this is looping logic here that is difficult unless you understand that he is God and he can do God-like things. So that's cool. Verse 19, Then the same evening, so this is Sunday night, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. They're still scared. Okay, They're still hiding in fear. Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. Now, what, were, what did we just talk? said something about the doors. The doors were shut. And Jesus appeared in the midst of them. Adam. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, I don't know how he pulled this off. He just, he was there, right? And he says to them, peace be with you. Now, what did he just finish doing on the cross? He just finished dying on the cross to reconcile man to God, to bring peace between man and God. And what's his message now on the backside of the cross? Peace. Done. It's done. So you'll see him repeat this message over and over as we go through this passage. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. In my notes I have, you think? <laughs> I think so. Well, no kidding, right? So Jesus said again to them, peace to you. He just completed this work on the cross, so no doubt he had peace on his mind. This is what was on, going through his mind. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. You're like, some parts of the Bible you just go, what? Okay, this is, this is what he did. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive any of the sins, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So what does he do? He, he shows up and he calms them down, right? He encourages them. He commissions them, he empowers them, and he says, go do the work. 
right? This is what we train for. It's game day, right? It's Sunday. It's game day. It's time to go do the work because I've trained you for several years. You know what to do. I've given you the power. I've given you the authority. I've given you the commission here. Go do the work. Verse 12, I mean, verse 24, I'm sorry. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came, which makes you wonder why, but we won't go there today. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. And this is good, because what are they doing? They're telling people that Jesus has rose from the dead. This is good. Now it's still in their tight circle. Right? We're not sure if they've branched out yet, but they're at least telling somebody that Jesus has risen from the dead. So Thomas said to them, unless I see his hands in the his hands, the prints of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. All right, so let's be honest for a second. How many of you would be Thomases at this point? Because my hand is up. I would kind of be a Thomas at this point. I'd be like, yeah, I kind of want some proof here. I want some proof. And after eight days, or literally on the eighth day, this is the next Sunday, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, so we're repeating last week's message, and said to them, peace be to you. We're repeating last week's message. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. So what did Thomas say he would do? I will not believe. And what did Jesus ask him to do? Believe. Now, was Jesus there when Thomas made that statement? No. Uh, yes, in his omniscient sense, yes, he was there. In his physical Jesus presence, they, where he was ascending halfway, sort of. So, yeah, that may be a really theologically good answer, I think, maybe then. That's, now that I think about it. So, the point here is that Jesus gave Thomas a chance to believe. Right? He gave him a chance to believe. And Thomas answered and said to him, and this is one of the most beautiful phrases in all the Bible, my Lord and my God. He got it. He totally, completely, 100% sold out and got it. And you know what Thomas did after this? He took the gospel to India. He planted dozens of churches in India. Got it. It totally changed everything. Totally changed everything. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Here it is. Here it is. This is for us. Don't miss this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. That's us. Because we didn't see this. We got told about it. That's us. We have a blessing, too. Stand up straight. You have a blessing. So David Gazik had this awesome paragraph. I'm going to read it to you. He said, the faith of Thomas is the climax of the book of John. Jesus has triumphed over sickness sin, evil men, death, and sorrow, and now he conquers unbelief. I love it. There is nothing that God's love will not win against. Nothing. It will win. It will win. Verse 30, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So if you've ever been aggravated, I wonder what happened here. You don't need to know that. I don't need to know that either. We can get curious about it all the time. We don't need to know that. The point is that Jesus is God, he's the Messiah, and that we have life in his name. That's the point. That's why these things are here. 
So, chapter 21. You are panicking. I understand that. We're going to fly through chapter 21, okay? I, I see the runway. We're circling right now. We're about to land the plane. Don't worry. After these things, Jesus showed himself again. I love it. We're laying out this proof after proof after proof after proof. He showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. So there's two ways you can interpret this. One is he was hungry, and this is what he knew how to do to go eat, right? And one is, I used to be a fisherman, and I'm going to go be a fisherman again. And they said to him, we are going with you also. So the blank is sometimes your decisions will spread to others. You ever made a decision and somebody followed you and it was unexpected that they followed you? It's kind of like, I didn't think I'd have any influence there. Okay. Kind of scary. These guys all followed. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Nothing. Which makes me think this is the second. This is, he's going back to his old ways. Because this was incredibly unsuccessful. Because Jesus said he was going to provide for their food. And for their clothing. And for their lodging. And it didn't happen here. And the morning had now come. Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. And he said, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Hmm, this reminds me of another story in the Bible. Right? Verse 7, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord! John's like, I know the answer. The Sunday school answer is Jesus. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord... Now, remember, what happened the last time Simon Peter was in a boat and he knew that Jesus was around? He jumped out on the boat, out of the boat, onto the water, and walked. So just keep that in the back of your mind, lest you think that Simon Peter is a crazy man at this point, okay? Now, when he heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, and he plunged into the sea. <laughs> it's like, what? Okay. Because if you hadn't read, like, most of the book of John, this would make no sense whatsoever. But the other disciples came in the little boat, <laughs> they remembered how that story ended, too, okay? <laughs> For they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a, coal, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. So here's my question. Where did Jesus get the fish and the bread? Because their fish was still in the sea. They, when they, as soon as they had stepped onto the land, Jesus had fish and bread ready for them. He'd been hillbilly fishing. He'd been doing something. It, yeah, he had some stashed away from that feeding of the 5,000, right? I mean, he just kept some with him in case, right? I, I don't know. He, this was, making fish and bread is not a problem for Jesus. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up, and again, Simon Peter, right? He's going out, he's going to drag the fish. Drag the net to land full of large fish, 153 fish. So here's my question. Why 153 fish? What is special about the number 153? Say what Augustine thought. Augustine said, if you added the numbers 1 through 17, you know what you get? 153. 10 stood for the Ten Commandments. 7 stood for the, uh, uh, the fruits of the Spirit. 
that's what 153 means. And I went, wow, okay. You can read all kinds of commentaries about what people guess 153 meant. I'm here to tell you, here's what 153 means. You ready? It's the number of fish that they caught. That's, that's, it's a lot of fish, okay. One cast of a net and you get 153 fish, that's a good job, okay. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing it was the Lord? Jesus then came and took bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So in case you're not paying attention, we're, we're proving this, right? We're proving this. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love, the Greek word here is agape, me more than these? And Simon said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love phileo, you. So you have, watch me, watch me. You have agape, you have phileo. And phileo is good, right? Phileo is what most of us have for each other. It's that nice, we're friendly, that's good. Agape is I will lay down my life for you. Phileo is I will say hi to you when I see you in Walmart. Okay? Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? He said, I will say hi to you when I see you in Walmart. Okay? Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And there's all kinds of different gr Greek words that are going on here, but I really didn't understand it, so we're going to stick with the agape and phileo. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love or agape me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo Sad that he didn't get the right answer on the first two. Had to change the question. Now, how many times did Simon Peter deny Jesus? Three. How many times did Jesus ask him questions here? Three. Do you think that there might be some type of link here? And to remind Simon Peter? Yeah, I think so. And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know all things, which is very true. You know that I phileo you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you that when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. You took care of yourself is the idea. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Now, I don't know if any of you have studied the lives of the apostles and how they died. Anybody know how Peter died? He was crucified. He was about to be crucified and he requested... This is how the story goes. He requested that he would not be crucified the same way as Jesus. So they inverted the cross. And they crucified him upside down, which would have taken place very quickly. If you think about the cross being a suffocation device, this would have killed him very, very quickly. Um, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will take you where you do not wish. He's talking about how he's going to die. This he spoke, verse 19, this he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. What were the first words Jesus ever said to Peter? Follow me. I love it. He starts with follow me. He ends with follow me. You know why? Because it's about following Jesus. <laughs> this is not rocket science. <laughs> All right? Um, what mattered here in Peter's life is not the fact that he had denied Jesus three times. It was not the fact that he was bold and brash and was constantly jumping into situations because he was probably still wet, right? Constantly jumping into situations that were dumb. It was not the fact that he didn't listen. It was the fact that Peter's story was not over yet. And our story is not over yet. And we still have time to finish well. 
one of the things I, some of you I've become very close with and you have confided to me things that have happened in your past and I've confided to you things that have happened in my past. And I say, that stuff doesn't matter because it's not about yesterday, it's about right now and it's about tomorrow. It's about finishing well. And we all still have the opportunity to finish well. And that's what Jesus is telling Peter here. It's like, you can still do this. You can still follow me. This is still hope. There is still time. And what does Peter do? Now you expect some really awesome theological thing to come out of his mouth, right? No, he's still Peter. Verse 20, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. This is John. Who had also leaned on Jesus' breast at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And Peter, seeing John, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about him? What are you doing? If ever there was a time to like smack somebody, if Jesus just wanted to haul off and smack somebody, this would be it, right? I mean, we've just had this great conversation about there's still hope for you. I want you to follow me, this great path. This is how you're going you're gonna to finish your life well for me. What does Jesus say? If he will remain till I come, what is that to you? And what does he finish with? You follow me. Getting back on message here. Then verse 23, Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. Because this is John. They're talking about John. And John wants to very clearly say, he didn't say that. Because I'm going to die one day. And when I die, don't be thinking Jesus is a liar. So he's, he's laying the groundwork here. He said, if he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple, referring back to John 20, 20, John 21, 20, who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. This is our Savior. That is awesome. They couldn't even write enough books in the whole world. Whatever technology you want to use, couldn't write enough books. I love it. So what's the point of today's lesson? Well, number one, the resurrection happened because a bazillion people saw it, right? Over and over and over. Number two, the disciples believe. Number three, God's love wins. It's going to win. Get on that side. So what do we do with that? We'll spread the word about the resurrection because every single generation has to be told, right? Every single one. Two, continue to believe. Salvation is not a one-time thing, and I'm not getting off Baptist, the, talk, the Baptist talking points here. Yes, I believe you accept Jesus in your life. He forgives you of your sin. That's the conditions of salvation, repentance and faith. That's it. You're saved. However, there's a call to continue. There's a, a call to follow Christ every single day. And number three, celebrate that God's love wins over sin, death, and unbelief. Because it does. That person that you think won't ever follow Jesus, guess what? Yeah, they can. Jesus wants them to. That person that you think, this will never, ever happen. Yes, it can. Thomas told the apostles, I will not believe. And what happened less than a week later? He goes and he takes the gospel to India. Yes, it's possible. Do not give up. The message is too good. The news is too great. Do not give up. Amen? Amen. Well, that was lousy. Amen? Amen. This is something worth shouting about, even for Baptists, on a Sunday morning, early. Before you've had your third cup of coffee, it's okay, I promise.